welcome back to the Art vs. Commerce podcast. This week is with my good buddy Patrick Lawler. He's a director and cinematographer out of LA and I feel like he is one of the first people that I met through Vimeo when all of that was really just starting and when Vimeo was that big deal that we all, I mean it still is, but in that in that infancy and how people's, a lot of people's careers kind of projected out of that and it's been fascinating following him through the years and watching him grow as an artist and that's one of the things I think I would say about Patrick is that you know sometimes filmmakers are either specifically a director or specifically a cinematographer you know somebody that you would kind of classify as a filmmaker first but I feel like with Patrick he's an artist and film is his art and a lot of that, I think, comes from the fact that he's multifaceted and that he can do so many different, you know, he does graphics and he does VFX and he does his own coloring. And he is the type that has, for a long time, made things by himself. I think that there are pros and cons to that. And we, we speak about it. And that's that was one of the highlights for, of the conversation for me. But what it does do is that, you know, his his aesthetic is so clear. And when you see it, when you see his work, if I'm like even just scrolling through Instagram and I, I know when I come across even just a photo of his. And I think a lot of that just comes from the clarity of his aesthetic, primarily because for a long time he has been making all of his stuff by himself. And so now he's getting into having a production company and working with more people and it's exciting. And I think being a friend of his is exciting to see him actually start to get reach a point where he has the support that jobs can get bigger. And, you know, we talk about that and we talk about, you know, I, if you're listening to this podcast, I feel like you probably know Patrick. The dude has a big social media presence and talking about how that positively, negatively affects the work, um, affects our lives, affects how we think about ourselves and our work, um, which is something that I think we all grapple with, even if we're not maybe as well known, we're still dealing with feeling this need to be on Instagram and feeling this need to make posts and that at this point being a creative is much about self-representation and that it's a double-edged sword because it can help you, but then you're feeding some sort of beast and we have that whole discussion and I think it's uh, it's a really cool one to have because Patrick is such an open and honest guy and um, his ability to talk about it I think is, is, is awesome. So really enjoyed this conversation. He's such a talented dude. Go to patricklawler.com just to check out his work, um, get a sense for his high-end stuff and um, you know it's nice to keep all of that in mind because I don't this conversation was interesting. We, we, there, it wasn't really, there wasn't much technical chatter and that's cool because I think that for such um, an emotional, interesting, thoughtful dude, like hearing how he kind of has dealt with it all is, uh, yeah, that was why I wanted to sit down with him. So as always, uh, thanks for being here. I, uh, I often tell, I often joke with people and I say like, I want, I told my parents I wanted to be a lawyer and they were like, no, you're going to be freelance and you're going to be, you're going to be an artist. And, and they forced me to go to film school. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> is, that, is that actually what happened? No, absolutely not. No. Um, yeah. Like my, my father is a photographer and a graphic arts consultant and a, uh, God, I mean, he has about a thousand different professions. Mm. Uh, he's a revisionist type font designer. He 
is a professor of graphic communication at Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. And then my mom is a graphic designer. So I grew up with perfect kerning and spelling. (laughs) And design has always been a huge thing and a a huge part of my life. I mean, whenever I would type up papers for school, my parents would, you know, really, really help me format everything and make sure everything was presented well. That's funny. Like, it wasn't even about, like, what you were... I mean, I'm sure it was also about what you were writing, but they also cared about how your, like, book report looked physically. Yes, absolutely. Oh, definitely. Yeah. So I've, I've, I've always had... Lots of support and lots of encouragement. Yes, mm-hmm. yeah. So I've I've always had lots of encouragement from my parents and lots of lots of help making sure things look good. Yeah, because I mean, growing up, then you saw people living a freelance life practically. So the idea of doing that was never foreign to you. Did you realize that that wasn't the norm, or like I'm I'm assuming a lot of your friends' parents weren't in the same boat? And like, how did that affect you as you started? Because I know that you were making like little videos growing up. Was there anything about like I'm following what my parents do? How much was that an influence? I think it was an influence uh, subconsciously. I think that they, I think the most parenting that's successful is just leading a happy, positive example for your kids. And so my parents both worked at home Mm. and we shared an office together, all three of us for my whole life. Yeah. Pretty much. My parents bought this large house and the master bedroom they converted into an office. And so my mom had her desk on the left front corner. My dad had his desk in the right front corner. There's a printer in the middle of the room. And then the back half of the room they gave to me. And there was a tape line that Legos were not allowed to cross. (laughs) And so it started with that. And, That's amazing. Uh, oh yeah, it was great. And I mean, God bless them for you know. I mean, God, they sat through so much shit. Like at one point, I built a drum set out of cardboard boxes and like a, a tin cookie can and taped pennies to the bottom of it so it would have a snare and would just practice drumming while they're working. And holy shit, I I don't even know how they. Survive, that's me, man. That's uh, that's amazing. When yeah. um, wh- at what point did you start making? You know, were you starting to like film? You were say filming skateboarding or or things like that. Yeah. So in about seventh grade, my dad got a new Sony camera. It was called the PD100, and it's basically the same thing as a VX1000. And so he's like, "Hey, Pat, check out this new video camera I got." And I immediately took it that night. I remember it was like seven or eight o'clock at night, and I took it out into the front yard and started running around through the bushes filming the Blair Cat Project with my cat. <laughs> and and I instantly scratched the lens of the camera and really pissed off my dad. <laughs> and so he started using it less and less because the lens was scratched and I think he eventually replaced it or something with a larger camera. Yeah. Um cuz he was shooting a documentary on Burt Rutan at the time. Oh, so he was also doing film. A little bit, yeah. He was he was trying to produce a documentary series on Burt Rutan, the guy who was building the, the airplane that flew around the world. Oh wow! With one person. So uh, yeah. I mean, you were you had the right influences around you for the idea of doing it as an adult was not foreign or it a big idea. Foreign, no. Like it wasn't some sort of stretch. The majority of people that I sit down and talk to, it was almost like being in the film industry was they overcame some sort of idea that it wasn't possible, but you didn't have that. That must have impacted you either just by enabling in a different type of way or something. I mean, what do you think? Um, I feel like I felt like I could do exactly what I wanted to do my whole life. I felt like there was never anything holding me back. I mean, I feel like one of the millennials who was told he could do anything and then just believed it and actually did it. Yeah. I am constantly, constantly working on stuff and I'm, I just don't stop. And it's always been this way. And my dad used to just say like, do what you love and the money will follow. Mm. 
and it's kind of true. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There are caveats and asterisks. Yeah. But um, the, the concept of being freelance and doing everything on my own and doing anything I wanted to do uh, that I was passionate about was not foreign to me. I guess I didn't really realize until I was older how difficult of a time some people had convincing their parents to let them go to film school and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. like To me, that's... Like, later on, you started realizing the, the differences between, like, your upbringing and the common one, I guess you could call it. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I realized that I was extremely privileged when I would say things like, my mom doesn't understand me, you, you know, and realize that my parents understand me way more than most people's parents. Yeah. And there was never any sort of disappointment with going to a community college and then going to film school or anything. And I'm very... Yeah. Very grateful for that. And you're a proponent of going to film school. Absolutely. Definitely. Why, why is that? Because I feel like it's such, a, it's such a back and forth between people. It is such a back and forth. So, I mean, I definitely don't disagree that you don't, I mean, you don't need film school. Right. What you do need is a place to fuck up. Yes. So, like, I, like, I really had a great time going to film school because I made all of the friends who I currently work with. Mm. Pretty much everyone who's on my set is someone who's been going to school with me since day one or day two or day 200. Um, film school gave me a, a, an amazing place where I was treating it like a receptacle of knowledge or a repository for knowledge. And I would be working on my own projects and bring them in to get critiques from my teachers. Yeah. And I would ask my teachers how I could accomplish this idea I have. And I was using it for my life. It was basically like a lynda.com tutorial that I could go in and talk <laughs> to professional people about, yeah. you know, that I was also paying a hundred thousand dollars for. Well, yeah. So my, my suggestion is don't go to a fancy degree farm like I went to for your bachelor's. Go for your master's and go to a, go to a community college or something like that and get like a two-year degree first. And you can study film at two-year colleges. And if you're interested in production, make sure you find a school that has production classes because you're going to hate going somewhere that only does when it's film only studies. theory, yeah. Well, because yeah. you need to get and dirt. The, like that's the whole point is actually making, you know. Yeah. Otherwise, you're, you're yeah. almost learning how to be a critic but not a maker not a filmmaker yeah there are people who are getting masters and doctorate degrees in film studies <clears throat> yeah who are great historians but i mean people need to go out and make stuff yeah and so because well, like you yeah. started getting hired for freelance stuff while still in school oh absolutely but what's the mentality though that kept you still going to school because i feel like there would be this competing argument of like well i'm starting to get hired to do this so like i might as well just like you know enter the workforce because it's happening well i didn't graduate okay yeah so and that was because of the thought process that you were having I pretty much ran out of awesome classes. When I went to both film schools, I only took the classes I wanted to take that interested me. I wasn't really interested in a degree. Right. I was at first, but I didn't get an associate's degree from Santa Barbara City College, and I went there for two and a half years. And then I went to the Academy of Art up in San Francisco and was trying to get my bachelor's degree. But I was, for the most part, only taking the really cool film classes. And they were just so inspiring. Yeah. And the teachers were so cool. That that was still and worth it about, to, to stick with. Oh, it was definitely worth it. I mean, I was I was soaking up every minute of it. But the problem is, is that halfway through, I realized that the school had lied to me and hadn't transferred my credits from Santa Barbara City College. And I, they told me I would be out in two years. And at year one, they told me I had three and a half years left. Uh, <clears throat> so it just and became so I was like, yeah, and I was going to have to go back and take math and English and all of this general elective stuff. And I was like, dude, I'm driving down to Los Angeles every week working on stuff. Yeah. I can't. Well, that's, and that's, so one that's of the, department the point heads, where it reaches, it doesn't make sense anymore. 
Yeah, it basically just reached a point. And I was talking to I was talking to one of the department heads, and I told him my situation, and he was like, "Oh, why don't you just get your associate's degree in cinematography?" So I took an astronomy class that counted as math, <laughs> and then like some kind of business development thing where they taught us how to use Microsoft Word to make like little pamphlets. Yeah. And then I was able to get my associate's degree in cinematography, and then I and then I dropped out. So then once once you're out now, was there something you were aiming for in terms of like how you wanted to grow in the industry? So I started off wanting to be a director when I first went to film school. You and everyone I really liked, else. Me and everyone else because I really liked the movie Donnie Darko and I wanted to make really emo movies and I had so much to say and I, and I realized I really had nothing to say. Uh, and, and when I went to film well, school... What do you mean by that? First like, day, is, like cinematography is more just like an interpretation of craft and is not necessarily saying something the way that like directing is? Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess I guess this is like one of the interesting things to think about for me. And it's like, why why do we do what we do? Why, you know, what am I saying with my work? And I realized that I'm trying to connect with people and inspire people. And that's the majority of like why I enjoy doing what I'm doing. Yeah. And there isn't some kind of childhood trauma I'm trying to deal with. Mm. There isn't some kind of massive oppression I've had to deal with my whole life. Um, I feel so fortunate to have grown up in such a creative and loving environment. Right. That there's no, I'm not making film to work out the turmoil of something. No, no that's and that so, makes a lot of sense. I actually I've never heard yeah. it described that way, but that makes sense to me. And I find the ways that I get the most satisfaction is when people contact me and tell me that they started doing something because they saw me do it. That's awesome. And that's really what I'm going for. Right. No. So then, when you yeah. were building up your cinematography stuff. Like, were you at because at, at around the same time and I've wanted to talk about this because I think it's interesting, like to talk to you or to talk to um, Karen Abad, like the people who are at the beginning of Vimeo. Oh, Karen. I love Karen. I just whenever I think oh, of like man, the early, I so much. whenever I think of the early years of Vimeo, for some reason, I automatically think of you and, and her and a few others. And how do you attest maybe like your creative growth when you were first in the beginning? And how does it connect to that community? And like, how did that? I feel like that community also helped your career in terms of optics and like people knowing who you were. How did that all play in? Because I think it's fascinating. Was, like, the, like people who were able to be there for the initial wave and write it, I think benefited greatly in their careers from it. Early Vimeo was probably the number one thing that helped my career. It was such a small, intimate, and positive community. I was releasing things on YouTube and people are so mean on YouTube and Vimeo was all creativity and support and people asking questions, and I love being interacted with, and I love interacting with people back. And I just was posting things on, on Vimeo because it had HD options. <laughs> I could upload things in 720 and 1080, and back then I don't think YouTube was supporting it, Yeah. if, if, I, if I remember correctly. And so I remember doing that because I could upload things in HD, and I remember like putting the word HD at the end of things, just like I put in 8K. Oh now, at yeah, the end of my no, stuff. no, like it, you know, no, there was always this thing of like saying like what you you know shot on, yeah. shot on the 5D and stuff, which yeah. at this point seems so silly to yeah. say, but back then it, it mattered. In glorious 720 <laughs> resolution. <laughs> Did you notice a correlation between like being one of the more outgoing people in that community and having it relate back to success in your early career, either in terms of getting jobs or, you know, expansion of your abilities. Is any of that fair to say? Oh, absolutely. I think 
I mean, some of my videos on Vimeo got up to 200,000 views. Yeah. That was huge for me. I mean, I'm, I'm just, you know, in college or out of college, barely, you know, uploading little videos. Oh, yeah, I was definitely in college when I got my first 100,000 views and I got my first staff pick. Mm. And it was, uh, there was a fire in Santa Barbara and I just drove up past the fire line into the houses that were burning before the police blocked it off and just shot a bunch of footage with my HVX hmm. and think got some permanent dust in it forever. <laughs> yeah. But I definitely, I think Vimeo definitely got me discovered by LRG. Um, LRG is a clothing company yeah. from Southern California, and they saw my stuff on Vimeo because one of their ad directors, or one of their creative directors, loves finding new content, mm. and he's constantly on Vimeo looking up cool shit. And he saw me, and he hit me up, and he was like, hey, Pat, I really like your stuff. We're coming up to San Francisco to do a lookbook, but we don't know the city that well. Do you know the city? And I was like, oh, fuck, yes, I do. And I took them on a tour of all my secret spots yeah. and shot a bunch of really cool B-roll of... Uh, these guys wearing cool clothes and took them all over. And I borrowed a slider from some guy and shot this lookbook and it blew everyone at the company away and they were all super, super proud of it. And they offered me a full-time job if I ever moved to LA and that's what helped my move to LA. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. And when you got down there, I remember you, you were saying that, you know, it wasn't enough to cover everything, but it, it made whatever else you needed not that much. And it kind of like allowed it to be this thing where you, at that time, like, are, what are you thinking? Are you thinking that you, you're moving down to LA to like go union and be like just a DP shooting big things? Or where was your, your head at when you were down there? And like, obviously this company is a big deal, but mm -hmm. what were you thinking? I, I'm not sure. I just, I've always just wanted to do bigger and better, no matter what it is. And I, the, the number one is goal slightly, is impressing is that and not, not, not necessarily with a negative connotation, but somewhat aimless in terms of yes. like a direction. Yeah, definitely. I think I've been mostly directionless my whole life. Um, I seem to really gravitate towards music videos mm -hmm. because I used to be a musician and so were my parents. And so I really, really connected to music and I was in a couple bands that didn't really go anywhere. Yeah. And I, the first music video I ever shot was for a metal band. And I just needed to do it. There was like a fire in my heart that was like, I need to shoot a fucking music video. I need to shoot a fucking music video. And I was hitting up all these bands and no one would answer me back because I had no, I had nothing to show. And one band said, sure. And they, I think they paid me like 20 bucks and filled up my gas tank or something. <laughs> and, and I went, I, I was the first person in Santa Barbara to purchase a 35 millimeter lens adapter from the Lettuce God, Corporation. God, I had one of those. Yeah, and I, I, I got it through winning a competition uh, at my school for shooting a commercial for the school. Yeah. So when I, you're shooting the, the music videos or like your desire to shoot the music videos, was it also because that was, you know, the groundwork for learning a narrative environment? in terms of having like proper set and telling story because i know i know your music videos and people should obviously you know check out your work if they're listening to this episode but a lot of it has it's not just people playing the instruments there's cinematic storytelling elements and i mean for a lot of people it's kind of training grounds for more narrative stuff was that the move was that the idea um i i never like really envisioned anything as stepping stones i kind of just wanted to impress myself mm. and so music videos give me an amazing place to come up with these weird ass shots and these like crazy concepts that are much harder to work into a narrative story you know when we see movies like inception and we watch the trailer there's all of this crazy stuff but there's you know 20 or 30 or 40 minutes of dialogue to support those cool shots whereas in a music video you have free permission to just blow people's minds. Yeah. So I was always trying to come up with newer and cooler ways to express my feelings about the music and capture what the band is all about. Mm -hmm. And and then it turned into fine art. 
So coming up with really interesting visuals that can complement the video are, it's, it's so powerful. I mean, like editing demo reels is one of my favorite things to do. Music videos, the, the combination of music and film together is just so good. <laughs> and I'm, I, I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm much better at that than I am at narrative. That's because I don't, I don't have a lot of narrative experience. And you're not talking rarely, about from a storytelling perspective. You're talking about from a cinematography perspective. I'm talking about from a storytelling perspective. Yeah. As far as like cinematography goes, I mean, I don't shoot that many narratives, but I could do it easily. Yeah. Well, I was gonna um, say because you were you already made the claim about or an explanation as to why you don't want to be a director, and I feel like that goes into the same scenario with the narrative, but that doesn't exclude wanting to shoot cinematography for that. Oh no, absolutely not. So I uh, I am also a director as well. Yeah. Um. I think it would be very fun to direct a feature film. And I can totally, now that I've started a company and we're starting to option features and mm. we're thinking further along down the line, I actually am starting to develop goals for myself. Yeah. And well, that's interesting, one of them though. is definitely... Is it, what's the difference between what you're saying here and what you were saying about not having like childhood trauma to work through and that telling those stories never really gripped you because you you felt like you didn't have those to tell. So like, where's the difference? Because you're, you're saying that you are thinking about it. It's so like, where does it come from? Because obviously it doesn't come from anything like that. It's the, it's the human connection that I love in feature films. So when I come out of a movie being floored and thinking like, oh, fuck, I need to re-examine my life a little bit, or that was so inspiring, I got to go try this, or stuff like that. That's what, I, that's what I really enjoy. And I love a good story. But I mean, I guess what I was saying is that like, I don't necessarily have a Patrick Lawler story I'm trying to get out. Gotcha. But it's other you know people's, I mean? and that's other, the, the other idea stories. of the art itself, the, the, the art of directing yeah. and, and telling a story grips you. It's just that like, you're not trying yeah. to tell a story that might be hit so close to home for you personally. Exactly. Yeah. And so that's what I think stifled a lot of my drive for narrative at the beginning, because a lot of people, you know, write what they know. I agree. I, I mean, I feel like yeah. I went through the same process kind of. And I don't, mm -hmm. I think, I think a fair amount of people do because you yeah. feel this pressure, especially like the first thing that you make, like it needs to be so personal and you're sitting there like not sure. Sometimes you're not sure how to do that, even though you want to mm -hmm. just be doing the craft of directing without it necessarily yeah. being tied to some sort of uh, personal thing. Yeah. So I want to shoot a fucking heist movie or something like that'd be <laughs> sweet. I love heist movies. Let's do it. <laughs> something. I'm all about that. Something, that we, something dope. Something that we wanted. Like a military coup or something. Yeah. Yeah, James Bond. I'll do the intro and the movie. Like, let's do it. I'm all about it. Something that we were talking about was, um, and I guess it like was this hap was it happening in the beginning with the Vimeo uh, ascent, or is it something later where people are contacting you? And this is obviously you're saying it, it's what motivates you when people are contacting you and saying how much like your work has inspired them and stuff. But that there's this um, gap between you know the relative distance people think you've gone in your career and where you think you're at. How early was that going on? It's been going on for quite a while. Um, especially in my early days of Vimeo, I, uh, I've always tried to be as interactive as possible with any sort of fan base. People contacted me all the time on my videos asking me how things were done. And I'm an open book. I'll tell all, everyone all my secrets. And it's most likely one of my biggest flaws is I'll tell you exactly how I did everything. Um, you can do everything I do with a red camera and a copy of After Effects. You know, it's 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 not too difficult, but I love showing people that they can do this stuff too. Yeah. And so when every anytime anybody reaches out to me, I try to I try to take the time to answer their question. If it's an important question, you know, there's a bunch of bullshit out there, but yeah. 
Um, and there's, there's some questions you can't answer. Like, hey, Patrick, how do I do it like you do? And I'm like, I don't know where you are. I don't know how you're approaching life. I can't, there's, there's no magical answer. I think the number one thing is to try to do you like you want to do mm. instead of do it like Patrick does. And that's what I'm struggling with too. It's not comparing myself to other people's paths because everyone's on their own. Or like comparing yourself to what people think, where people think you are. Yes, that too. I mean, because the discrepancy is there. We were talking about it offline. We were talking about it. Yeah. And like, do you address it with people, or where do you, how, does it? If sometimes, do you, how? Um. So on my most recent demo reel on YouTube, some kid said, "Man, this demo reel makes me feel like trash." He was like, "Inspired trash, though, but still trash or something." And I was like, "Oh man, if you don't, if you think that I don't wake up every morning thinking that I'm trash too, then you're gravely mistaken." I. We're both pretty much the same person. I'm just like, I just have had, you know, a 10 year head start. Yeah. And you're just still in high school. Mm-hmm. So, you know, don't feel like trash because I was feeling like trash looking at Seth Illiff's demo reel from Kansas City back in the day. His was like my number. I mean, because he was doing focus pulls <laughs> and dolly moves. And I was like, oh my God, he must have had a first AC with a follow focus. Like, holy shit. Um, I remember just watching his demo reel over and over again on Vimeo, just wanting to be that, you know, wanting to be at that level where you have actors and makeup and mm. lights. I'm like, what the fuck are lights? Lights are so cool. It'd be great if I could use those at some point. So I, I definitely am open to talking about any of these topics with pe- anyone, yeah. you know, and I think I want to make sure that people realize I'm not some like randomly successful person who is inhuman you know i i have feelings i have emotions i do worry about myself and my business and the future constantly and it's it's kind of funny because a lot of people treat me like i like i don't what do you mean um it's it's really funny because like now i'm starting to go home back to my hometown and people are starting to like notice me and like drinks will get sent down the bar and stuff or people will notice me and say like oh pat i haven't seen you since you moved away and got famous you know, and I'm like, oh, thanks for saying that in front of my parents. That's great. <laughs> uh, you know, and, and it's it's awkward. It makes me it makes me like a little nervous inside because, you know, the attention is makes me shy away. But I'm all it also totally feeds me subconsciously. It makes me go like, yes, give me all the attention. You know, Yeah, I was going to say child. And that, that must like, and like make the focus get lost because like you start to believe it. Yeah. Oh, definitely. It's it's I'm constantly like trying to stoke myself on myself while also trying to talk myself down off this high horse of thinking I'm the shit. Mm -hmm. And it's like, it's really interesting because I am so excited about the amount of work I've had that's been seen by people and the amount that people look up to me and the amount that people interact with me. And it's addicting, man. And I, I love, I love the people who watch my work and Mm -hmm. I really want to impress them as much as I can. Yeah. What, what I want to inspire them to do the same. I want them to in- impress me. I want them to like blow my mind with cool shit. Is that what's addicting about it? Everything. I think just the whole interaction. Yeah. I feel like I Vimeo has gotten harder to interact with people on. I think it's such a large community now. Yeah. There's it still definitely has the roots and the staff picks are amazing. It's just so, there's such a massive sea of content out there. It's really hard to connect with people. So I've I ended up starting this like Facebook jobs group. Yeah. That kind of gives me that same community now mm-hmm. and it's small again. And I really, I really like it. I really like 
interacting with people one-on-one yeah because it, it, it's in not small groups. what's encouraging that i'm hearing is that it's not what feels good about it isn't oh there's so many people that all know me like it's like no i actually need less people because the interactions need to be deeper like, yes exactly yeah i want to watch someone grow i want someone to come to me multiple times with questions about a project and then i want to help them through it and then when they release their video i want to be impressed by what they were able to figure out on their own and I love nudging people in the right direction. And, you know, constantly, I mean, all of my friends will tell you as they're hanging out with me, I'm always on my phone solving some kind <laughs> of, are. always solving some kind of camera emergency or talking to someone who has some kind of technical question or responding to a comment on something. And it gets to the point where, I mean, I'm pretty much like a 50% digital person at this yeah. point. And I'm trying, I'm trying to, I'm trying to use my phone less, but I love being connected with as many people as possible. Obviously at a certain point, that's, it becomes a job yeah. like you know are you like active in your thought process about the fact that it's not just the growth as a cinematographer because i wanted to get into discussing the fact that you're really you're more multifaceted than just being a cinematographer in a way that a lot of dps aren't not because they need to be like you know if they're trying to be on some sort of fast track to either you know being union or just be or, or getting a good rep that's one way to go about it but you're not and it's almost as if like i think the more multifaceted you are the the more you're capable of doing on your own it in certain ways it can like it, it can slow certain growth in in the industry but at the same time it doesn't stop it from from you getting there and when you do maybe it's like better because it's the way that you wanted to do it but it's like the multifaceted nature isn't just in technical programs like being vfx artists as well and motion graphics and cinematography but it's also like you're spending a lot of time being and having an online presence it all is a bigger thing than just like i'm a cinematographer yeah so I've always wanted to finish projects and get things done and get them out. And since I started shooting the day that I was out scratching my dad's lens in the front yard, uh, he gave me Final Cut Pro 1. Well, it was just called Final Cut Pro. And I installed it on my computer and I started figuring out how to take my Adobe Illustrator drawings and put them into the computer and animate them in Final Cut moving o over the image and stuff and I was doing very basic motion graphics so since the beginning of this whole thing I've been editing and doing visuals so it's hard it's to it's hard seamless... to like split it it's... I can't split yeah. it yeah when I'm thinking about shooting I'm thinking about post I'm thinking about how I'm going to color it I'm thinking about how that's going to get cut out and how I can just paint that out and it's funny because I'm one of the few people who says like oh we can fix it in post and I'm the one who's actually going to be doing it yeah. right <laughs> everyone else who says fix They're it just in kicking post the isn't can the person down the line. exactly it really you know, it gives me more power on set because I can I can make really split, you know, split moment decisions and say, is this something that I can personally fix? Is this something I can recommend that is fixable? And I usually don't say fix it in post if I can't personally do it, even if I'm not doing the visual effects. Yeah. So it allows me to have a more holistic approach to the whole thing. You know, thinking about my post process while I'm shooting is very important. And I think that that's a lot of cinematographers have the pre-production process down a lot better than me, but they never touch post. Right. And so they just get feedback and they just, sometimes they see their project and you know, the, the times that I've had my projects colored and edited by other people, a lot of the times those are the ones that are, I'm the least proud of because I've, I haven't had the control to make sure that the video looks the way I want it to look. Is that, has that been a limiting factor in terms of your ability to get bigger projects because bigger projects demand uh, conversation, like collaboration, like you can't do it all? I think it's definitely slowed me down towards getting my union days. Yeah. I think that, I mean, because half the time I'm editing, you know, I get half my paycheck from working in my bedroom yeah. editing stuff. Yeah. So I don't have anywhere near, I mean, I have 
four union days or something. Right, 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 right. <laughs> this year, and and it uh, is only so February, I'm, but I'm yeah, working. Yeah, yeah. But uh, so I'm working on smaller projects, but I'm doing everything, and I'm able to control the process. And when I get hit up for other projects, I think sometimes it's a benefit because people know that I can inter- interface with a post team, mm-hmm. even if I'm not editing. Well, yeah, you know, that's I the can thing. Talk it's like you know, it might be a slower as- ascent, but mm-hmm. but once you get there you're better off for it. That's the way I'm, I, I gotta believe it is. I hope so. Yeah, I definitely, I definitely think so. I think that taking the time to learn all of the facets of the process of getting something shot and putting it on the internet or in a movie theater will only help you. I mean, as a director, if you if you've spent time in the makeup department, you can make better makeup decisions. As a director, if you have spent time building sets, you can more accurately dictate what you want to your art department. Yeah, and. I'm trying to do that in as many facets as possible. It's funny because, again, I'm like, I feel tempted to bring up the fact that I, I understand your initial point about not having some sort of childhood thing you want to work through in like a, your first script or whatever. But at the same time, all of these things are pointing to wanting like you can make that statement, but it's not taking away the fact that you want to be an auteur. Yeah, I definitely want to be an auteur. I mean, I, yes, uh, I, clearly. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and people people question me on it a lot too. You know, How a lot so? of th- there's there's this well, there's this mentality that's been passed around, and I don't disagree with it, but it just it just varies from person to person, and it's the idea, you know, jack of all trades, master of none concept that they hammered into us in film school all the time. Teachers were like, focus on one thing. If you want to be an AC, be an AC. And I think making kids choose that at the beginning of their film career is stupid. And I think everyone should try everything. And obviously, at film school, they do. You could take a producing class, you can take an acting class and all that stuff but the concept of editing and shooting and directing your own films teachers especially and people who do one job Mm. really really don't think it's possible to do multiple jobs and so many times i was told you know because i'm in the cinematography track at school and i'm trying to wave out of editing four and I haven't taken a single editing class. And I'm like proving to them with like demo reels and like video after video that I know what I'm doing so I can get into an advanced class so that I can learn what I actually want to learn. Right. And they're like, but you're a cinematography major. Why are you even wanting to take an After Effects class? And it, and it's and it's it's been frustrating having to prove that it is possible to do more than one thing. Mm. I'm not saying that it's bad to do one thing because I know guys, I mean, two of my best friends in the whole world are some of the best focus pullers in the world. And they love it and they're so stoked on it and they're focusing their entire career on honing that craft and I and I admire it and I tried being a first AC and I couldn't cut it you know it's it's way too precise yeah. I want to make the whole thing happen and so on my demo reel people say like oh hey this is like disingenuous you know uh what are you a director are you a dp are you an editor like you can't just be like Steven Soderbergh you trying to be Steven Soderbergh and my response is, no, I'm trying to be fucking Patrick Lawler. And I mean, that's the only way I can say it. It's like, it's like I meet people and I have several people that I work with at my company. And, you know, one of my favorite directors of all time, Ryan Valdez, is very much like me. He does his own visual effects. He does his own editing. And it's so much fun to work with people who have such a broad grasp of everything that's going yeah, on. Yeah, well, I would imagine that because I want to obviously I, I, at a certain point, I figured we'd talk about the production company with what you just said. I, it makes sense. I would be surprised if you were like getting into a business with people that were not of the same mentality in terms of the holistic nature of things because you wouldn't be working well with people that were all like uh, directly one thing because that would brush up against you the wrong way. Like you need to be working with people that are like what you said with Ryan, right? Like in terms, yeah, in terms well, of mean, like having that 
more holistic nature because I would imagine you want to work with people that can handle that wide gamut the same way you can. It depends because also I'm totally down to hire someone who's really good at one thing and then I can fill in the rest of the gaps. And that's what's really fun about this company. Definitely from like a contractor it, perspective. Yeah. 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 Um, but but yeah, so I mean we, we have we have five directors total and That's a lot. All of them know after effects. Right. You know, well, that's what, that's um, what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I think you proved so, my point. On I, that. I, I guess, I guess, I guess, I guess, I just proved it, your point. That's yeah, abnormal. Yeah, yeah. That's abnormal for yeah. like one, and like you found five. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. you know. Well, mm -hmm. but to backtrack, prior to starting the company, I, you know, I think it's, it's fascinating watching all of us who are kind of got started at around the same time. Like we're all more or less like ten years in now, right? And it's mm -hmm. like at a certain point, you start to get annoyed by the disparate nature of just project to project and who knows kind of thing. Was that what was going on in terms of like wanting to have something that was a bit more of an anchor? What, what, what was the thought process for saying that, oh, like I want to... Because I mean, you were rocking freelance hard for a long time and not to say that you, you aren't doing freelance gigs still, but was it from like a desire to have like a home that was bigger than your own little space for yourself? So I, it wasn't my idea to start the company. I was actually freaked out by it. Um, my what freaked you two out? Friends from, okay, so I've basically been, you know, cowboying it my entire career. Uh, I'm hiring producers at 10% of the budget for each music video. And it's really hard to get producers who will go above and beyond for $1,000. And I realized that that really sucks, you know, paying someone $1,000 and asking them to work for a whole week and a half is really shitty, you know, and having to coordinate stuff. And so I was, I'm basically struggling to get these low budget music videos made and it's just killing me. So I'm just like, I got to stop doing music videos. And I kind of stopped doing music videos for about, you know, my, my, my number of music videos dropped by like half or two thirds mm -hmm. over the past couple of mm -hmm. years. And so then my friend Derek was talking to me and he said, Hey, if you need a new line producing, hit me up. And I was like, he just said the word line in front of producing which means he knows exactly what the fuck he's doing and he's the kind of producer I need to hire because you know, there's so many people who are producers who just show up and smoke weed pens and like <laughs> just hang out in the back and just like, yeah, I'm the producer, you know? And, and I'm tired of working on music videos like that. And so yeah. like, he was like, he was like, if you need a line producer, I was like, dude, this guy knows what the fuck he's talking about. Plus I've worked with him before. Mm -hmm. We went to phone school together. We're buddies. Yeah. So I was like, hey, why don't, why don't you produce this music video that Ryan Valdez and I are doing? And he fucking killed it. I mean, usually when I go out to the desert, it's like I drive out with my car and I'm with a bunch of friends in the direct heat and it sucks and we forgot crafty and like we have some bottles of water and it, it turns into a shit show. So I show up there expecting that and there's pop-up tents, there's fans, there's tables and chairs. There's, you know, a playback speaker with a generator. And I was like, how did you make all this fucking happen for the budget? Yeah. And it was a wonderful, relaxing, not totally relaxing, but it was a wonderful, energetic, fun shoot yeah. that wasn't stressful. And I realized that Derek really knows what the fuck he's doing. Mm -hmm. And he is so good at scheduling and he's so good at like anticipating people's needs that I was like, I, I really need this more in my life. So I started having him line produce everything for me. And so after like two projects, he and my friend Scott, approached me and said they wanted to start a company and immediately any kind of commitment i'm just like Whoa! right anything yeah you know well because it requires uh, I, like it you know if you've been aimless and i'm not saying that negatively we've discussed that so like if you're if you've no, been, I've been i've been totally you've aimless, been aimless yeah. and now it, like something is basically asking of you to be yeah committed that's that's yeah. going against the trend you've been setting for your entire career yeah and these these two guys basically asked me if i wanted to marry them yes you know and i was like 
shit. And I like couldn't get back to him on it, you know? And I was like really freaking out. And and I was like, but I love working with Derek and I love Scott. Scott used to work at Technicolor and he did development there and he's, he's, they so both obviously these quite guys capable. Went, went to business school and then went to film school. So they know all the business stuff and I don't know any of this business stuff. And that's like one of my major short or major uh, downfalls is my lack of business savvy as far as like paperwork and taxes yeah, but you don't need to do it. and insurance. And so now they know what the fuck they're doing. And so we're running a legitimate company that pays people the legal wages. We get permits everywhere we go. We pay everyone through payroll. We get insurance so people are insured. Yeah, you, you're, I mean, it's I remember, a company. I remember when I first moved out here, we're shooting this big music video and we got a bunch of gear donated and there's someone up in a fucking condor. You know, the, the other co-director turns to me and he's like, do we have production insurance? And I was like, hmm... Let's uh let's go to the next shot, guys, and like pull the condor down a bit. <laughs> and I and I realized that, you know, like I was potentially, I mean, jeopardizing people's yeah. lives so with my ideas. When, when, yeah, yes. <laughs> and and Yeah, go ahead. You know. Well Yeah, so so now now we're insured and we're doing things the right way and safety is important and you know, we're not as punk rock as we used to be, but we're not gonna have any dead people on our sets and I really think that's dope as fuck. Yeah, yeah. Um, when you were on the fence, what, what nudged you over to saying yes? Was there a final conversation? Was there a final epiphany? Like what, what happened that you finally said, okay? Um, they were so eager about it and they seemed to know exactly what they were doing. And I talked to a whole bunch of people and especially my parents and my best friend Gil and they all thought it wouldn't be a bad idea at all. And it would totally, what was your parents line of thinking? Um, my dad has owned many companies. Yeah. And so he, he said owning a company is great. And, you know, I think I definitely don't think you can't do it. Mm. And so I uh, I did it with them. And the whole time I was like, you know, keeping one toe in the water just because I'm just so I was just so afraid of commitment, I guess. Yeah. And, you know, we didn't have any projects for the first like two months. We were trying to get a music video rep. We were pitching on things. We finally got some a little bit of representation and we were just writing. We wrote like seven or eight treatments and all of them got rejected. Mm-hmm. And we were just like, this company's failing. <laughs> like... <laughs> Like, oh my God, we've only made it like three months and nothing's happening. And then finally we got, we got a couple of music videos and we got some really cool ones and we had some bands hit us up directly wanting our look and we knocked them out of the park and we just, you know, it just, we started working on more and more stuff and we started making friendships and yeah, it starts, it starts small, starts slow. Reps and commissioners are coming out to our music video shoots and seeing how much we love it and how much fun everyone's having and how professional yet enjoyable our sets yeah. are and i think it's an addictive thing that people want to be a part of and, and well that's the whole that's the selling point for making the decision to yeah. to buckle down versus yeah, yeah. and the, the the really cool thing is that every single band we've worked with has taken pretty much everyone in the crew aside at, at some moment and said like this is the my favorite music video i've ever worked on ah that's great every single video i mean that's which is freaking yeah great. Yeah, and the proof and is in the pudding on that. we shot some major bands. Yeah. Can you say and who? It's, and it's like, I mean, yeah, like Corn, for example. Yeah. <laughs> we just shot a video with them the other day, and like they had some constraints. Corn. And we met all of them, and we listened to you know their concerns. Yeah. And we met everything that we promised, and it was we got them in, and we shot them, and we got them out on time, early. And they said that you know they're used to suffering through long music video shoots, and ours was very simple and 
they had the best time because they didn't have to be there that long. And, we, you know, we did spend a lot of time structuring our, our schedules. And we have a minute-by-minute schedule for every single shoot day, and we have everything planned perfectly. And we spend a whole week doing it to make sure that the day goes off without a hitch. And I think just having that level of organization and doing the amount of pre-production really shines through. Yeah. And makes everyone's experience enjoyable as fuck. Yeah, no, I mean, you're glowing talking about it. Because I, <laughs> I know that it, it all, it's also coming from a place of, like, to go, to go for years without that type of structure to finally get it i mean the creative benefits are also huge yeah absolutely i mean being able to just come up with weird shit and now i have a group of people who will help me figure out stuff yeah you know one day we needed a like an old school 1800s uh photography tray that holds the black powder that creates the flash like pre-light bulb yeah yeah and like Derek was out buying metal and handmade this metal thing himself for the video. And, you know, having such a powerful team of people who are willing to do anything is so rewarding. Mm-hmm. And it, it's not just me having to do everything myself. Yeah. And being part of a group and spreading out the responsibility, it makes the product so much better. And I love collaborating with all these dudes. That's awesome, man. I know that that's like a big yeah. leap for you to take that's huge yeah, yeah. Um, i'm glad that you're seeing the the, the fruit of it Definitely. where what's the in, just in terms of like because you guys are doing music videos now you i guess you said you were like looking at some options for features where do you want it to go i mean you have five directors now that's a lot i mean yeah. you haven't been around long mm-hmm. yeah so the goal with the company is to shoot a feature yeah right so we just we just optioned one and we're gonna see if we can sell it uh we're also we've developed a travel show that we shot a pilot episode of in japan in july yeah. which was a life-changing experience for me it was really interesting because i hired two cinematographers and then i was just on camera the whole time yeah so i'm also trying to be talent <laughs> which is weird yeah so um well you got so a personality I'll tell you that i hope so yeah, <laughs> so, yeah i can attest so, so i'm editing it right now and i'm so stoked on it i mean it is this footage is beautiful man we brought two red cameras a drone and an a7s and a gopro and iphones all shooting 4k out <laughs> to japan and and you know I, i'm shooting and then i give the camera back to someone and then something really cool happens i'm like give me your camera and i steal it back and i'm running around uh, I mean, we went to aquariums. We traveled all over, all over the country, and met so many wonderful people. And so we, we've developed this this travel show. Yeah. And so I'm I'm cutting that, and we're gonna try to get it picked up, and hopefully. I mean, I would just love to spend a majority of my life shooting this travel show. I, it would the, traveling, in my opinion, defeats racism, just straight up. You know, when I go and I meet people who are from other cultures and I learn how they live their lives and I see that they're just people like me too, I mean, it just makes me love other countries so much more. And I have such a wonderful time doing even boring things in countries. I just want to see other people's lives. And it is life-changing. Every time I go on a trip, it's like a microcosm of an entire year's worth of experiences. You Mm. you Mm. laugh, you cry, you fall in love, you get in a fight with someone... You know, it's it basically heightens everything yeah. to, you know, a factor of 10 for, for two weeks or something. And so it would be amazing to go to some of the most beautiful places on this earth that I haven't seen and try to capture them from my perspective and interact with the people who live in these places all year long. Yeah. So that's definitely a goal. And then uh, my third goal is to get an office. Yes. Yeah. I would really love to get to the point where we can afford an office where the three of us can work and have other editors come in and we could decorate it super cool, put up a bunch of our friends' art, and I think we'd get a lot more done. And I I just really want to create some kind of like nurturing work environment that isn't my bedroom. You know, I want want multiple people to be able to come in and edit with us or... 
work on projects together at some cool space. And mm-hmm. so hopefully in the next couple of years, we'll be able to make enough money as a company to afford something like that. Yeah. That's awesome, man. I mean, it's cool that it, it it's great watching because I, I, I can sense that it's, it's grounding in a way. It's grounding you in a way. I mean, yep. there's, there's a more of a clarity and a focus about what you actually care about, which is a byproduct of other people taking care of the shit that you don't want to care about. Yes, definitely. I mean, right? I never really thought about that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. That's awesome, man. Well, I mean, it's been great talking and, and getting a better sense of it. It's, it's interesting, you know, with every one of these discussions, there ends up being so inevitably like a theme of someone's thing. And I think for you, it, 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 what's fascinating is that it has been the disparate way things have gone for you. But yet the conversation ends on like this note about that ending. And um, it's really, I don't know, in, in, in a short amount of time, you know, we sit back down and I think it's a whole different uh, discussion from here on out, which is cool. So. Yeah, I feel I feel I feel great, man. I have especially this week. I've I've started getting a lot of interaction from people who are telling me vocally. I think I think that this whole Trump thing is actually swinging everyone in a more emotive direction. People are starting to open up to me more, mm. and people are starting to talk to me. And I mean, just today, I got I mean, sorry, just this week, I got two thank you cards in the mail for just like little things I did. Yeah, and people are really starting to open up and these communities that I'm building are starting to actually pay off. And there are people who are hitting me up who are saying, Pat, like because of your Facebook group, I got a job and I never knew that I was, you know, I was really worried moving down to LA and I finally got a job and now I have a friend and he brought me on like two more movies and now I have a whole group of friends. And this would have taken me a lot longer if it wouldn't have been for your Facebook group. Also like my friend's sister got a full-time job out of college up in the Bay Area and is moving up there because of this Facebook group. There's all kinds of, there's so much positive interaction. I'm seeing so many happy people who are inspired by my work and the work that my company is doing. And it just makes me want to cry. It's, it's so inspiring, man. It's, I, yeah, I want, I want everyone to know that they can do it and that Hollywood isn't a scary, evil, mean place that'll I mean, it might chew you up and spit you out a bit, but, um, <laughs> but, uh, but I mean, like it's, it's, we're, we're all creative people trying to, trying to communicate and trying to share the human experience. And so far it's been the most rewarding thing of my entire life. Right on, man. Well, if I ever heard a place to stop, <laughs> I think that's the soundbite right there. <laughs> so thanks a lot, man. I, I, sorry, 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 yeah, sorry. yeah, there you go. Yeah. Thanks a lot, dude. I appreciate you sitting down. Of course. Of course, man. I love you, dude. Love you too, man. Bye.